This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 218, Preliminary Guide, Hakan and L1. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. So I played a game the other day. I'm calling mm-hmm. it the other day. It was yesterday, but it was the other day. Oh, uh, do we have to get right into the? We need, do we have to get right into the show? Do we have uh, to get right into the show. What do you want? I don't want to get right into the show. I want to talk about just like something random. Oh, so random. You want to talk about? Something I just want to talk about random. something random. Oh yeah, my gosh. Could, just like let's a really, random thing. Let's just, just anything. distract from the. Here, wait. Here, me. wait. Let me. I'm gonna spin a wheel with everything we could talk about on it. Okay. And I'm going to spin it real it's quick. Such it's a, it's a digital wheel, wheel. Oh, not okay. a real wheel. It's a digital wheel. Can yeah. Just click it real quick. Um, let's see. Of all the things we could talk about. Oh, oh, your Hakan game yesterday. Oh, weird. Out. Oh, okay. Actually, so uh, let me talk about my Hakan game for a second. Uh, here's all I want to say is, man, oh, mighty. I, my brain works different when I don't play on stream, huh? Uh, I, if I could advise anybody to play uh, whether they should play on Twitch or not, I would never play on Twitch ever again. <laughs> I'm only going to make videos many- for the YouTube anymore. That's my new thing. <laughs> Matt, how many people would that advice be for like besides six. yourself? Yeah, like, like- six people. <laughs> exactly. There's very but man, few people that it's actually rough. do that. I hate that. it. I hate playing on Twitch, and I actually had, like, a fun time. I mean, I still, I can, I'm only allowed so much fun, you know, in my Yeah, oh, yeah. In, in my mostly- ways. It's <laughs> mostly... The way any kind of pleasure seems to work for you, Matt, in your life is that it's mostly frustration. Yeah. And it sounds like you're not having fun 100%. Yeah, of yeah, the time. yeah. You, everyone you else assure will be me fooled. later that you've had fun, <laughs> but I find it hard to believe uh, really any, any, any old time. But you yeah. have told me that you have experienced fun. I, I have never witnessed that. I just want to express this, though, from the game. This is the kind of fun I got to have with Twitch chat not on my shoulder telling me what to do i got to uh sell the speaker token to someone on my left meaning putting myself as last and then Mm -hmm. put public execution on top and then spend the entire agenda phase trying to keep every single player from being publicly executed because i didn't want anybody mad at me as hakan like i that's what i went through was was a a probably 20 minute long agenda of public execution and like well i don't want it to hit the person that i gave speaker token to because i didn't actually mean to hurt them that bad i'm just afraid of three laws in play and public execution isn't a law and then also all of these other deals worked out to where I couldn't. It was the weirdest. It's going to be on YouTube later, and it is the most fun agenda I think I've ever taken part in. Wow. Well, that is uh, that is quite weird, Matt. Yeah. Um, did you you had QDN though, so it didn't I matter did. where you were selling this bit. This right. Exactly. Token, really. That was the thing. Yeah. I, I once Hakan. We're going to talk about that later because that's what today's episode is about. But man, it's hilarious what you can do with the speaker token when you no longer care about it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I want to, uh, real quick, before we get uh, into the episode, I just want to say uh, the signups for Tournament 4 yeah. are um, in November. Uh, well, actually, the signups themselves are not sent out in November, but if you want to sign up for Tournament 4, which is happening in 2022, you need to be a patron in our Patreon in November. Um, 
any tier will do galactic counselor and higher uh they all get you the invite sent essentially so make sure that you do that if you are interested in playing twilight imperium in a real hardcore way buddy <laughs> i feel like within three years this this uh tournament is going to be similar to like booking a, a a high quality room at disney world or something where it's like well you gotta book that thing like a year and a half out man you gotta <laughs> you gotta know by this june if you want to play in the 2025 thing like it's just we get so stupidly far ahead of this thing and then imagine the people who so there's gonna be people who are signing up for the patreon right now in october for a prelims game that they won't play until maybe like april <laughs> Yeah, that's the reality of this. So I will say, those of you that do sign up, you need to be sure that you like the game (laughs) because because it might take several months for you to get in there. Yeah. If you sign up for this now and then six months down the road, you're like, I don't even like Twilight Imperium. (laughs) And that happens every year. That's why we get that's why the wait list is 50 people and 45 of them get it through and make it into games. Because it's like, listen, man, I signed up on a whim before Halloween or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not before Halloween, though. We do not sure. want to trick no, anybody. I don't it want is, to trick you. It is November. Some people have been month. hopping on early because they want to join in this fun war arc we've been having going on, but it's the November yep. Patreon that matters. Let's also dive into some errata for last week's Galactic Counselor episode, the tech tier list, uh, which, hey, guess what? There is none because we nailed it and we're perfect and infallible. Um, um, I don't agree. I think that we did miss something, actually, Matt, Probably. because I have it right here on the script in uh-huh. front of me. Yeah. I have something that we did miss. We did so. miss. Well, we, it's funny, too, because we I think beforehand we even said we would not talk about this. Uh, but I yeah, think it's fun right, to do it right. anyways. Magi pointed out that we did not rank Valifar Assimilator, the necrovirus faction tech that they start with that technically does not count as a faction tech for objectives and is not a tech that does anything. It is just a process right. by which they may copy other factions faction tech so i think we said that very strangely matt for somebody that isn't hardcore twilight imperium (laughs) like for somebody that isn't hardcore twilight imperium what you said makes no sense whatsoever you said that in the most convoluted strange way (laughs) it's the fashion the faction tech that allows them to steal other people's faction techs but also it doesn't count as a anyway it doesn't um, do anything by itself necessarily right it doesn't do anything but it does allow them to do that technically yeah, speaking you, yeah all right yeah yeah, yeah. so it's anyways hunter we got to tear it we got to tear it up um and i think i know where it should go and the, re- the reason we left it off the list is because it is our sole s plus tier is what i is what i'm throwing out there what do you think oh s plus um i would put it in the the d tier never never research <laughs> uh well you never you never do good. research it you don't research valifar and you don't do anything yeah, with and- it that was my joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, yeah, it's probably one of the best. It's probably the best faction tech in the game. I yeah. mean, how could anything be better? It right. includes all of the other faction techs. <laughs> like, how could something go beyond that? So yeah, no, it, it, it is, it is, it's like QDN if it could also be Mageon implants. Yeah. Like, yeah. that doesn't, you know, that's, that's the situation with Valefar. So yeah, no, it's one of the best techs in the game. Yeah, just but to be clear, I, I that includes it was, so that's so it's as good as the ten other S tier faction techs. I just counted it up real quick, but there's ten. Right. There are more faction techs in S tier than there are standard techs, and Valifar gives you access to all of them. So, right. Yeah. Right. Pretty good. Yeah, it, absolutely the best uh, tech in the game. 
Um, I, you know, I thought it kind of went without saying Magi, yeah. to be it's honest. It's not a tech, like, it's an ability, basically. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it is a faction ability that for some reason is written on a tech be, card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would basically be like ranking Super Dreadnought 1, right? Which is like, hey, Super mm. Dreadnought 1 is killer. It's super good, but it's not a faction tech. So, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, well, technically it's a faction unit, but yeah, let's, sure. let's, uh, let's get into the meat. You want to, yeah. you want to get into the meat? I do. Let's, let's dive into, uh, some, pro some more preliminary guides. And so just to get ahead of these again, uh, a reminder that these preliminary guides are preliminary. Uh, I'm not, we're not going to cover everything. And I'm saying this today because I'm about to talk about the Emirates of Hakan. And I'm not kidding when I say I could probably fill six hours of podcast episodes trying to cover everything that the Hakan can do. Um, they're that terrifying of a thing. So I just need it said off the top here that there's going to be th stuff that we don't talk about. And you're going to come on the Discord and be like, why didn't you guys talk about this? And I'm my response to all of those will be, we didn't have time. I do want to hear that feedback because maybe it gets to be errata next week if it's like stuff that really feels relevant. Some stuff, it's just not going to make it. And Hakan is like the main faction I want to do later guides where it's like, let's talk exclusively about this. Like Hakan is the main faction I think about. It's like Hakan and Jolnar are the two factions I think about when I think of like, I want to do a set strategy guide for this style of Hakan. So with that out of the way, let's talk about the Emirates of Hakan. Uh, and there's there's quite a lot to say, but let's do some faction overview first. Hunter, what do you say? Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, so their abilities include Masters of Trade. You do not have to spend a command token to resolve the secondary ability of the trade strategy card, which means you refresh your commodities for free, of which you have six, more than anybody else in the game, quite a bit more than anybody else in the game. One and a half times as much as anybody else in the game. And that, that means a lot. You also have guild ships. You can negotiate transactions with players who are not your neighbor. Uh, this is a great ability, but it's especially why their round one is so potent. Because round one is defined by the idea that like nobody can ever really make a lot of trades happen. Because you got to send a trade ship out. you got to waste a command counter to go become neighbors with somebody. Whereas Hakan just starts trading stuff all over the place. Hakan even gets to become the vessel through which other people do trades. And maybe Hakan charges like a little... Uh, finder's fee or whatever, like a shipping fee to like get your promissory note from you to that other person while well, you have to trade through Hakan and then all things can be done. So Hakan has this like completely buck wild open-ended trade possibilities. Their third ability is Arbiters. When you are negotiating a transaction, action cards can be exchanged as part of that transaction. Um, mechanically, the thing I'll note here that I think I see a lot of people trip up on in, in their early days with Hakan is there is a rule that says promissory notes uh, can only be traded one promissory note per transaction. Kind of an arbitrary rule, honestly. And because that's like the only card component most people trade, when people think about Hakan, they often forget that you can like trade your entire hand away in a single transaction. There is no limit to the action cards that you can trade away, um, which means lots of crazy things can happen in the late game. Hakan is like a huge win-making faction because they can get all of the action cards necessary to the people who need them to do the win-slaying and win-making and all of that. Um, so Hakan, when Hakan is in the game, the entire game is different because it is now Hakan is involved in every single action, and it is why Hakan is banned all the time, right? Hakan is like maybe among, for, for factions that nobody is afraid of, Hakan is like the number one tournament ban purely because of the amount of time it adds to the game, because every single action is possibly a negotiation. Yeah, I think it's a practical thing. It's just like, I don't want to have that long of a game, and especially there are some players that are infamous for 
playing Hakan and also being slow and taking <laughs> lots of time. That's me. Um, I'm included in and that I list. I keep track of all of you. You're all on my naughty list of long play slow people. And then you pick Hakan. I'm the only one who should be allowed to play Hakan. Me and Mantis. That's it. No one else should be allowed to play Hakan. No one else. Everyone else is too willing to waste everybody else's time. Yeah, man, that is really the problem. Even as a person who's like really trying to work on not slowing down games and fa failing at that, but trying very hard failing to not every time, exactly. every day, every but day. When I play failure. as a con, I'm doing so many things of just like, let me just cut this negotiation off. And you literally feel like you are. Uh, wasting so much potential as Hakan every time you like cut a deal short because it's like well I could do a, I could I could haggle a little bit more here I have so many tools to haggle with uh, so let's let's get into the rest of their stuff uh, their start uh, their home system is three planets it is a two zero a one one and a zero one um, three planets is a very bad home system to have Hakan is basically the only definition of that because Argent Flight's home system has all of these other ways to fix that problem whereas Emirates of Hakan has a lot of difficulty the big thing being um, a single planet home system means you drop all of your infantry on one planet and it becomes very hard to bombard and attack whereas yep. Hakan you are splitting all of your infantry three ways which means that there's always going to be a weak planet or they'll all be like weak enough which means everybody always talks about Hakan wins in the space of their home system generally speaking there's some stuff nowadays that helps a lot more but uh, it's a scary home system they also start with two carriers four infantry so a great expansion start one cruiser uh, really good as well, and two fighters, uh, and of course a space dog, and their starting tech is anti-mass deflectors and Sarween tools. Notably, they start with a blue tech, so they have access to gravity drive round one. They're a good custodians faction. Uh, we'll talk even more about that in a minute, but also they start blue-yellow, which means like, especially in base game, but still in POK, they are, Dreadnought 2 is easily viable, because you are in most games probably getting gravity drive maybe that's less nowadays in pok gravity drive is not an auto grab anymore i would say that's the big change for hakan is gravity drive is not uh a hundred percent of games for me anymore as hakan yeah why can you explain that yeah uh i think there's a uh if you're not gonna i think it's easier to predict whether or not you're gonna get custodians as hakan and if you're not getting custodians, like if you can look, if you're fifth pick and you can already tell you're just no, there's no way you're going to get custodians uh, round one or two as Hakan, um, I would literally rather like go straight for QDN. And we will talk a lot about QDN. It is actually somewhat hmm. controversial, but I think it is worth it to sprint for Quantum Data Hub node. Um, and I think you can even then come back to Gravity Drive and have it for the late game. But I do not think gravity drive is always a round one get for hakan necessarily there's a lot of slices that you can be in where it's just not necessary okay well it'll be interesting to hear you talk about like skips and stuff later yes, but yeah totally you should get to the next uh, next uh, component. so uh they have a flagship that is notably i think still considered the worst flagship of all of the flagships it is the wrath of kanara uh it's an eight uh, costs hits two two dice on a seven move one capacity three so basically completely middle of the road uh stats wise and then its ability is after you roll a die during a space combat in the system you may spend one trade good to apply plus one to that result so like the sardak nor flagship just has this ability of plus one on top of sardak nor's already plus one right and this one is like if i want to burn money i can maybe do a plus one on my flagship and that's just like almost never anything to more or less <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a it's a very underwhelming but um uh i guess it, it goes with the uh 
the theme of the faction, but it's not interesting. Yeah, it's not interesting. General logic would say if you see the Wrath of Kanara hit the board, it's because Emirates of Hakan need to unveil their flagship. I have sure. one caveat to that that I will explain when we get to the hero, um, and it's it's an incredibly minor point. But first, let's get into their uh, faction tech. They have production biomes. It requires two green. Notably, you don't start with any green, so you got to go all the way. You know, it's got to be your third green tech uh, minus skips. Uh, as an action, so it's a skip itself, it's a stall, I mean, uh, exhaust this card and spend one token from your strategy pool to gain four trade goods and choose one other player. That player gains two trade goods. In base game, this was an option for Hakan that was like, it's okay, It's it can you can really center a strategy around it. The stuff they got in POK killed this technology. This is gone. If you listen to our tech tier list last week, we threw this one in the wastebasket. It's done. Uh, I am not going to recommend production biomes in any context. Their agent basically completely replaced production biomes. Their second faction tech is the opposite of that. It's quantum data hub node. It's late game yellow tech. It requires three yellow. At the end of the strategy phase, you may spend one token from your strategy pool and give it to another player uh, and three trade, sorry, <laughs> you give three trade goods to another player and spend the strategy token. If you do that, give one of your strategy cards to that player and take one of their strategy cards. It is basically the same as uh, Imperial Arbiter. Is that right? Uh, is it the exact same timing window? I think it is, yeah. However, however, the order that they happen in is based on speaker order. Exactly, yeah. So if there some... can be a situation where you have Imperial Arbiter out as the law, as the uh, player's been elected to be the Imperial Arbiter. You have Quantum Data Hub Node. Necro is also in the game and has Quantum Data Hub Node. And you could have like three people in line right. to take Absolutely. strategy cards from each other. And the other. goofy thing with that too is it's technically a game of chicken because with any timing window, if someone does an ability in that timing window, just like with our yeah, identifiers right. thing, you get to go back to the start of that order. So really it just comes down to like, you, your group sort of has to just talk out the game of chicken and be like, listen, just do it in speaker order and let the person get it or else like we'll be here all day. <laughs> or don't talk about it at all yeah, and just just, uh, just do something cool like you're up first and you just pass. Yeah, you right. don't want to. Yeah. yeah. So That's um, some cowboy stuff. Right regardless, there. the big thing here is in the late game, it is almost impossible to deny Hakan the strategy card that they want, right? right. Uh, if they need Imperial, the only way to keep Imperial out of Hakan's hand is for no one else to take Imperial, and when Hakan tries to take Imperial themselves, you publicly disgrace it. That's it. That's the only way. So Hakan becomes this, like, terrifying behemoth, actually, in the late game, because especially, we've talked so much recently about how POK really feels like it shifted how much speaker order matters in the, in the late game for so many factions, and Hakan gets to completely sidestep that, and that becomes, like, the true powerhouse ability of Hakan is just like, hey, your speaker order shenanigans don't matter at all to me. However, I will say Hakan definitely still gets to play with speaker order shenanigans if they want to. And Quantum Data Hub Node is one of those abilities that is effective even if you never use it. Um, I, I had my last game. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? What I mean, you mean? do not have to spend the strategy token and give a player three trade goods to still get what you want out of quantum data hub node i don't understand matt you're talking on this weird wizard level and you're and you're being coy and you're not explaining yourself how how do how do i get any value out of an ability i don't use exactly it's as if sometimes the threat of a thing is as good as the thing itself um players play in crazy. what situation would players do what are you saying they're just gonna let me have whatever whatever card i want 
Is that what you're saying? Well, it's funny because they shouldn't, right? They should want you to spend the strategy token and force you to give them three trade goods, right? That isn't that. That should always be just better for somebody, right? But well, but why, Matt? The but threat, then why? Why? Do the they threat not want is to you're going that? to take the trash strategy card and hand it to them, so they don't want ah. uh trade round five where they're fifth in, in order and trade's not going to actually accomplish anything for them. Uh, they want something decent. So they're going to take their something decent and just let you have your Imperial pick. It's fine. Oh, now I feel informed. <laughs> this is always such a, a terrifying experience because I don't know which points Hunter's going to like rip on me for. <laughs> I'm not, I, I was not trying to rip on I know you. you. I was just I trying to help the, uh, the, help any the listener. listeners that might be confused. I, I agree. Uh, let's talk about their mech. Uh, it is super duper weird. Uh, weirdest mech. Some people love it so much. I think it's pretty good. I think it's fine. I think there's a couple fun things you can do with it, but I do not think it is the linchpin to Hakan strategy. That's what I'll say off the top here. So people are already furiously typing at me on Discord. Uh, the, the mech says, this planet's planet card may be traded as part of a transaction. If you do, move all of your units from this planet to another planet you control. It's actually that latter part that's like the real power of this thing. This like free movement of all of your structures and ground forces to somewhere mm -hmm. else and the cost is just giving up the resource value of that planet or whatever um, is pretty huge and that's what comes into our home system problem. So the big gimmick with Pride of Kanara is you can early game build a forward dock build a couple times out of it or maybe even just like once like one round and then get a mech there and then at any point in the game you can say hey do you want this forward dock especially like an equidistant it's like the perfect thing if you've got like an equidistant like two resource planet like even even primar i'll use primar as an example it's a great planet let's say you can sell it for a high dollar you get to move your space dock back to your home system put a second space dock at home which helps solve a lot of your production capacity issues that you have from your very bad production capacity home system and you move all of your ground forces and structures there to defend your stuff it's like a great defensive posturing thing and all it costs you is giving primor away which is probably worth it depending on the round you're doing it in yeah um I don't I don't know why this ability exists to be honest <laughs> because you just you just described it in such a way where I think actually illustrates the problems with it from the other side which is that I get just a planet right. where where I get a planet from the faction that for sure has some trade goods they could just give me yeah. like instead right. totally. of this planet um so it only helps to score objectives essentially mm -hmm. right like that's the whole point of it is that hakan can just kind of sell objectives which is by the way something that people already accomplish like quite yeah. easily yeah definitely um trading points that is um but i feel like what you give up to hakan if they've actually planned to sell the planet which is like they have structures there that they can spread out to wherever um it feels like a lot yeah it, 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 it feels like so much to the point where i'm like I don't know maybe you could just take this planet like right. can we can, is there a point where we stop floating all boats and and everyone's just like you know what i think we do have to just like fight and take and take planets from right. each other right um i just think it's i i think if um if a con is getting to move a space dock a pds i don't care as much about sure. but if if a con is getting to move a space dock it almost feels like this is more of a favor to Hakan. and yeah. if they're trading you a planet away for a point that is it's probably because they don't need that planet. Yeah, exactly. Okay? They're done with so the they're point. So they're trying to get, 
Yeah, like the the it's it's they're not trading their point for your point in most situations, right? Unless I guess they're having a really bad game. Sure. Um. So I question the utility of the mech overall. Yeah. I, yeah, I think people I should question it because li literally we haven't talked about the hero yet. So you don't have the ability like in your brain. But like this only makes Hakan's incredibly good hero better to allow them to do this. Like to to be uh to agree to this exchange only makes Hakan's hero like almost twice as good. <laughs> Which I don't is, get that. How, how does we'll that, what well, is that? Remind me and we'll come back to it when we actually have like the hero text in our head. Okay. Um, let me finish with the promissory note before we get into all of the uh, leaders. The promissory note is trade convoys. As an action, place this card face up in your play area. While this card is in your play area, you may negotiate transactions with players who are not your neighbor. If you activate the system that contains one or more of a con player's units, uh, return this card to the con player. Trade convoys is an interesting promissory note because with some factions, it is like you should not give this to Jol Jolnar um, unless you have like a very good plan for how that game is going to go. But like Jolnar being given access to trading with anybody, regardless of them being their neighbor, is like a very big boost to Jolnar. For them to just be able to hand out research agreement whenever they want is a big deal. There's a handful of other factions that this can apply to. I, I would be afraid of giving this to Nas Roca, maybe. Um, but I think this is a great one to give to kind of like middling trade people because then it's like well i'm kind of boosting some things but i'm not letting them get out of hand i traded it to an l1z1x player recently um so that they could mess with their their own promissory note a little bit more and i didn't think that was over uh stating the capability of this counterpoint do give it to jelnar um and then just take a hold of the game and strangle the game right. the two of you and make it so that only the two of you can win because yeah. you're so ahead economically that's absolutely um, a plan that you can accomplish yeah. yes yes <laughs> i agree <laughs> but uh it's it's one that you're gonna hear a million people talk about in a million different ways um so i i just just do what you want with it the, the big thing that i would say too though is Keep in mind, it's another one of those uh, promissory notes that someone puts in their play area, which means you can technically be also selling access to the Betray a Friend secret objective. Um, I think those mm -hmm. are always something to worry about just, just a little bit. Um, but hey, it's also a thing that's like a good tradable. And honestly, I think Trade Convoys basically replaces your Alliance promissory note because we haven't talked about the Commander yet, but I don't think the Alliance promissory note is especially tradable. And this might be literally what you do for an alliance swap instead of an alliance swap. It's like, hey, give me your good alliance for trade convoys is probably a pretty standard deal. Um, so let's yeah. get into the agents so that we can finish talking about all this stuff. Uh, first up is your Agent Karth of Golden Sands. During the action phase, you may exhaust this card to gain two commodities or replenish another player's commodities. This is the thing we said replaced production biomes. So production biomes was I gain four trade goods, you gain two trade goods. This is less than that, but I don't have to research a bunch of green tech to get it. I just have Karth. So the investment, even though I can make a little bit less, the thing about production biomes is you maybe get it round three. So you're going to use it two or three rounds. You're going to make 12 bucks off of it. We easily make that much with Karth. Um, throughout the course of a game. There's a lot of things to talk about with Karth and people have various ideas. The The most obvious thing being like, hey, you can use this to replenish a four commodity faction and then do some wheeling and dealing with them. Um, people will disagree on what the proper deal is with Karth of Golden Sands. Some will say you should make the offer that Jolnar 
is a four commodity faction, they should give you three of those commodities and you'll wash one of them, right? It's a three for one. You make three bucks, oh, Joel makes one bucks. I know. And and people think that's a people think that's a deal because that deal? they're threat what they say. This is a, something Stads even pointed out in the pre errata. And I've seen many, many people disagree with this, and I disagree with this. But the alternative argument is like, oh, Hakan has all the negotiating leverage here. They could decide to just gain two commodities themselves and make money off of that. I, I don't agree with that. I, I'm going to offer the four commodity faction, hey, let's both gain $2 right now. You have four commodities, let's split it. And I'm not going to make any enemies by uh, over-negotiating and like, hey, give me way, way, way more, too much money than I deserve. And you get a pittance. Like, a two for two is great. And I, th I think that's what you should do. But you're going to see people disagree on this all over the internet. I think that um, a, an easy target for this is... Um, as Hakan, uh, especially round one, is to use your agent to refresh somebody's commodities and then basically offer to wash almost all of them for yeah, free right? Uh, in order to gain access to um, a, a promissory note that you would like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a round one essential promissory note that you're that you're in or not essential. There's no promissory notes that are essential, yeah. but but it's something something interesting. I feel like that's just easy to do. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't get too, I think, heinous. Yeah. I mean, the, like, uh, like the easy example is, uh, yeah, refresh Jolnar, wash all four for research agreement, yeah. uh, especially if it's for gravity drive or something It technically like that. costs you nothing. I mean, it costs you using Karth and not gaining money from the it, but you get a research agreement. Agent. And yeah. yeah, this is an easy way. I did it in my last game and, and people talk about it. This is how you get gravity drive nowadays as Hakan is you don't mm -hmm. spend money or a command counter on it. You spend the theoretical $4 from Cartha Golden Sands, and you just get Gravity Drive when Jolnar researches Gravity Drive. And it's great. Yeah, it's it's a very easy way to give yourself access to custodians round one, too. So honestly, maybe Jolnar's shouldn't be so willing to do that deal. But Jolnar makes 4 bucks round one. It's pretty good <laughs> for them. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the uh, commander. The unlock is ten. have 10 trade goods. Just have them. For a, a split second in time, this is why right. you will see people say trade round one is like the de facto obvious pick for Hakan because you gain three trade goods. You have six commodities that you can do any number of even even like fair washes gets you up to nine trade goods. A single X minus one. When we say X minus one, we say like I will give Jolnar three commodities or three trade goods for their four commodities i gain a yeah. dollar off of it you mm -hmm. do that even a single time you get your 10 trade goods so the big important thing here is um at least round one i wouldn't get all crazy with like let's assume that we all made our money like pay attention to how much money you have in a single instant because you do want to make sure you can easily unlock this agent uh, or i mean this commander round one it's like the easiest thing in the world especially if you took trade even without trade i will you say can this do it. I, I, you're talking a lot about unlocking the commander round one. Um, I would urge people to uh, not actually care about unlocking sure. the commander oh, of round one. It is you, not useless. It doesn't useful. matter. It's not going to be useful yeah. round one. It's barely useful when you have it in every round. Um, but at the very least, just to have like, my only point is like, it's very easy to play in a way where it's just like, hey, we're all kind of assuming trade goods moved around in this way. And you could like literally never pay attention to the fact that you had 10 trade goods on your board because you're like moving the money so fast. So like at least once take your time with it and just like, hey, look, I now have 10. Let me flip that commander real quick. All right, that's that's business out of the way. Logistics are done now. Uh, 
right. and what that unlocks is when you cast votes you may spend any number of trade goods cast two additional votes for each trade good spent this is like one of those things that's like in theory this could be good like oh a critical agenda and i have a big stockpile of trade goods but in reality nobody ever wants to spend the money on votes there's like always some you would you are better off spending your money buying someone else's abstain or votes right then you are just brute forcing it this way that that generally you can like find someone where it's like i can sell something to you and the two of us can just lock this agenda in and i don't need to spend like 12 trade goods for 24 votes to mat like outdo everyone else or whatever that was an extreme example but the the point being i don't think this is a very good investment almost ever i think that it's a, a an ability that people are sleeping on personally yeah i think that I think that Hakan uh, suddenly dominating an agenda uh, c can be a big deal. I just feel like people don't actually follow through with it. Yeah. Um, obviously, when I say this, I mean that um, it's only going to be important if the agenda is relevant, right? If it's an right. agenda that is going to actually yeah. affect the outcome of the game. Um, but I do feel like I've seen even situations where I thought, oh, I think this Hakan player is probably about to use their commander where they just didn't, where yeah. it just didn't didn't come up um and i know a lot of the times people don't people want to find a way to talk their way around having to put votes down on things but i do feel like um people are sleeping on this ability just a little yeah. bit i, I you don't need the biggest stockpile of trade goods no i mean know? even like, like six not extra precious. votes can actually do quite a lot i think the big yeah. thing too though is it, it it definitely does depend on hakan's um speaker order right i mean if you're the second to vote you're almost never yeah, spending yeah. trade goods on votes if you're the speaker then yeah, those trade goods can make or break the vote and do whatever you want with them. Um, so right. yeah, it's it's one of those just highly conditional commanders. But that's what I was saying earlier, of especially selling this to other people, you can really only sell this to other people who reliably have trade goods um, or can do goofy things with votes too. Like X-Shaw doesn't necessarily hate this commander. Uh, Mentak, Jolnar, there's a handful of people that like can kind of get some mileage out of this. My general thinking is this is something that gets tacked on to a deal and is never an alliance swap you're probably getting a, a mediocre alliance in return for it, or this is like in addition to some amount of money or whatever. This is this is a little icing on the cake of the deal. Let's get to this hero, the Galactic Securities Net. Uh, when one or more of your units use production, you may reduce the cost of each of your units to zero during this use of production if you do purge this card. This is a huge hero. Um, the most like extreme example is you have a bunch of space docks at your home system and you have war suns. You get to build two war suns for free and then a ton of fighters and dreadnought twos and everything. Uh, this right. was the one caveat I was going to say for the flagship. If you don't have war suns, there is sometimes a value of just getting the flagship out there because it's like, listen, I get to build as many units for as cheaply as possible. Like I, I if you're doing an early hero, you might draw unveil flagship later. I would probably sure. build the flagship off of the hero in the mindset that, hey, I might get Unveil flagship and I might need this. So whatever. Right. I'm going to get it Just for free. So who cares? Plastic. Exactly. Yeah. Unload the plastic for free. It, there's there's no harm, no foul. The, the, the flagship is bad when you spend $8 on it, but it's not so bad when it's free uh, is basically my thinking. Um, and honestly, you can play a solid enough Dreadnought game with Hakan that like by the time you pop this hero, you already have like four dreads out. So it's like, I don't even, I don't even have that much big plastic to spend on anymore. I do not like revolving my whole strategy around this hero. This hero is a great thing to have happen for you in the late game, especially as your deals die down um, and people aren't as willing to, to trade with you. But I would not 
I'm not going to approve of the, like, get early War Sons, Rush Wars. I mean, I'm, I'm going to approve of it because it's fun. But in a tournament setting, I'm not going to approve of getting early War Sons so that you get two free War Sons on Galactic Securities Net. I, I don't think that goes anywhere for you reliably. I think you are better off using it uh, to just get a handful of units. And we talked about the Pride of Kanara earlier. This is how you double your power. So... I, a single space dock in your home system on your two resource planet you have four production value galactic security net is only building four units you are you are limited by your production capacity with your hero four units is not that many it's not that huge of a hero if you only build four right. units but if you can pull a space dock off of one of those other planets and put it on your one one now you have seven production you've literally almost doubled your production capacity and get can get that many more units uh so that is why we were saying earlier sometimes the other players maybe shouldn't go with hakan on this because you're only making their uh hero much more potent yeah also it's like it's funny that we talk so much about war sons when it comes to this because it's not like um it's not like there's an expectation of like hakan just researching war sons but if you think about it um if Hakan is in a game and Jolnar is in that game, well, then likely Hulk, uh, Hakan is going to have a lot of uh, tech power that they wouldn't normally have access to. Right. If Hakan is in a game and Muad is in the game, then they are going to have War Sun. Right, yeah. Probably, Muad, almost, uh, uh, Hakan can afford Fires of the Gashlight. They can absolutely afford it. And because you, as Hakan, get to do those War Suns for free... You will pay more than anyone else would pay for it. Like, a normal person's like, I'm not going to pay $6 for Fires of Gashlight, because then I still have to spend $12 on the War Sun. But Hakan is like, hey, it's $6 for two free War Suns. Uh, so yeah. that's a pretty obvious choice. Yeah, and you know what? To be honest, um, Muat, you need to start charging Hakan more yes. for Fires. I feel like I've seen Muat give out Fires many times in different games um, to many players and not charging enough in general but definitely charge a con yeah. more than you would normally they get the war suns for free yeah 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 so let's let's kind of get into some analysis then some things i've already uh, uh mentioned throughout and I'll, I'll blaze through those points fast but um let's get back onto that quantum data hub node talking point i still think it's a huge deal like we said it is uh it is not <laughs> a thing you even have to use for it to have power right it is that important um, and especially in POK, like games are defined by what you can do in the final round, whether or not you essentially have leadership, diplomacy, or imperial in the final round. And Hakan can guarantee that choice for themselves. So it's wicked powerful. And they have enough economic engine and everything else and a great tech path and everything throughout the rest of the game that like that's the only thing you need to worry about. It's the it's your only failing as a faction is that you might be caught up in the same speaker order rat race as everybody else. And the option to not have to do that is right in front of you. So to me, I don't know why you wouldn't do it besides these things that people talk about where it's just like, you don't want to put that target on your back. And I don't know, I'm the player who always plays with a target on their back. So maybe, maybe you're going to see some disagreement here and there's some argument against it, but I'll never talk myself out of Quantum Data Hub Node ever again. What are, what would the disagreements be with, with getting Quantum, uh, Quantum Data Hub Node? I don't know. I mean... I, there's there's just the idea that like it puts such a target on your back that maybe you haven't built enough mm. stuff to pull the punches you need to in the late game if you've got a if you've got a sar neighbor you know they the threat might be on the table of if you if you get quantum data hub node i will literally gun for your home system and like yeah. that's maybe a fight you can't win unless your hero's ready to go i think maybe the best way to phrase it for people that are going to play hakan is that know that when you research quantum uh, uh, quantum data hub node that the other players are 
going to notice that yep. and begin talking about it all the time. Exactly. Basically. It is now the conversation of every single thing. And honestly, it happens even before that. If you get a yellow skip, if you research a yellow tech, like if you show that you're going down the path of QDN, uh, really, really like smart tournament players uh, are already paying attention to that. And this is the other reason I think you should rush Quantum Data Hub node. It is not a tech that you need to have round three, right? I don't think using it round three is like an efficient use of resources. You can kind of handle whatever strategy card you need to. You mostly want it for round five. But the big thing I see happen all the time is in a game where people are very afraid of Quantum Data Hub node, if you are waiting around to get it and you're not taking tech yourself, the other players might just stop taking tech so that you can't get Quantum Data Hub node. And so if you haven't gotten Quantum Data Hub node by round three, you might never get it because tech may never be taken again. And you might need to take other stuff. Like tech isn't the greatest strategy card in the late game. It's probably worth you taking it at this point, like if you're getting blocked out of it. But what happens is like maybe your speaker round four and so you take something different and then nobody takes tech and then you're doomed right because you don't want to take tech in round five because now you're too low in priority for scoring order so i think you should just rush quantum data hub node so that you have it out of the way and you can't be denied it later when you need it yeah i think you could prioritize it you could take politics as as hakan knowing that if you get quantum data hub node i don't know why i can't say the name of the tech. i know i, I, um, I trip up every time if if, if if you know you're going to get QDN, then I feel like taking politics in order to take tech yeah. is fine. Yeah. Because you you you're doing it with the goal of like, well, I'm gonna get to take Imperial once or twice. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it'll be it'll be fine. Definitely. Um the only delay on Quantum Data Hub node is that immediate decision you make at the start of the game is, hey, is custodians even actually an option for me? And let's be very clear, Hakan has the option to accomplish custodians round one given the right parameters. I mean, if you get if you get warfare, you can take custodians round one because you are very much uh, capable of making the amount of influence you need to take the custodians token round one. You only need five trade goods. You only need four trade goods if you really kind of want to go that way. Well, you need more than that. The point being like with warfare, you need to get tech and then you have a zero one planet. So you need five trade goods there and you need one more trade good to afford the tech or whatever. That's not that hard to accomplish as a con because round one, everybody's desperate to move their money around. Um, so you can get gravity drive and hand warfare and have enough trade goods to buy the custodians token round one. Uh, it is even easier to accomplish all of this round two if you have the speaker order uh, settled for you. So that's the only reason I get gravity drive round one these days is like, hey, I know that I can uh, go for it. Otherwise, the caveat would be like, if I know I'm going to get a yellow skip next round, I'm not going to research a yellow tech this round. I might go, I might go techless round one before I do anything else. I would generally rather just not spend any money on tech and probably build some units, and then the next round use that yellow skip that I that I took uh, control of, right? Um, so there's still, even without custodians, maybe every once in a while you'll get gravity drive round one because it's like going to put you in the position to then yellow skip to uh, transit diodes and um, that's that's the only decision I'm making around them. Beyond that, like I'm going quantum data hub node as fast as I can, and that might be all of the tech that I get depending on how the game goes. Um, so let's talk about trading, uh, especially in the early game as Hakan, because it's a thing that tapers off as the game goes on, especially once you get QDN, nobody wants to talk to you anymore. Um, I, I've always wanted to try to talk myself out of this idea that like, oh, you should take trade every single time it comes up. 
I kind of feel like that's actually true. Unless it is like glaringly obvious that you need something different, right? Especially like Hunter just described, you might need to politics so that you can guarantee yourself technology later because you're getting hurt in the tech department. Uh, trade makes you so, so, so much money. It's crazy because you have all of the leverage once you take trade. If somebody else takes trade, the way I look at it is if somebody else has trade, you might make four or five dollars in round two onward. Right, because you're gonna just do an X minus. Well, you'll make a little bit more than that because you can get uh, your Karth, but you're not gonna make that much money. But if you have tech, you decide who gets replenished. You decide all the X minus ones. People are much more likely to come to your table and uh, do the deals you want to do. Whereas if you don't have trade, you have like no bargaining power. I think. Yeah, um, I don't know that you have no bargaining power. Sure. Like I wouldn't say it that strongly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's if you if you need to make a lot of money. Uh, you should take trade. I will say though that because of Karth, like your agent, yeah, it's you. You have a way to like when you are not the trade person, yeah, to still like have Get quite a bit of weight in yeah. the in the trade discussion. Um, also, so like let's say you don't have trade. Um, do you say yes to X minus two as Hakan? Like, how do you uh, yeah, feel about definitely. that? Definitely, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will take four trade goods for my six commodities. Um, if it's going to the right faction, right? I'm not gonna like boost up already huge huge powerhouses but like mm -hmm. i will i will do an x minus two i mean four commodity factions can should accept x minus twos when it's relevant of course hakan would i don't think i would do an x minus three as hakan i think you can find other buyers yeah also though i mean because you don't have to pay to get refreshed right so right. so you can you can do a lot of weird stuff like yeah. um like not pick trade but still be buying up all the trade agreements totally. for you eventually buying trade like or um as a con, you can buy up trade agreements, not take trade, and then whenever the trade person tries to play trade, you're like, okay, yeah. So you just get to negotiate with me and only me, right? <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make some good money out of this, right? Okay. Yeah. You know? I I think um, we could. This is where we could have the six hour episode, right? Is like all sure. of the crazy. I mean, we've seen we have seen casinos that Hakan has run. Like you can do literally anything as Hakan if you want to, as long as you have the creativity to do it. And as long as you're willing to waste everyone else's time with like negotiating and doing further negotiating and for like you can talk down people's prices until they're blue in the face. Um, so I don't think I can like throw every strategy in the book at you in this episode. I think it's like this is where you flex all your muscle. The thing I will say is the reason I like trying to maximize trade as much as possible is it only improves your ability to maximize your trade goods later because you can buy everything. You can buy action cards. And this is my like Hakan is mini Asarl. Action cards are not as good anymore, right? I'm not ever going to suggest Hakan get neural motivator. It's not that. But you might take politics a couple times because those action cards are sellable things you can do and you can buy anybody else's action cards and you should always keep that at the front of their mind. Anytime you're wanting to do some big, bold action, you can be willing to sort of pay a little bit too much uh, for the action cards that will help you secure that thing. If it's worth points for you, I think it's worth a decent amount of dollars, especially because if you've been taking trade a lot, you're rolling in cash. Um, and that cash can be used in so many different ways. You should be trying to buy promissory notes all of the time so that you can then sell those promissory notes to other people at opportune moments. You have to keep your head on a swivel and pay attention to every single player's game so that you know what they need when they need it, right? That is what you're like always on the hunt for. And that's when you see like 
expert level Hakan play, it's it feels like they're playing everyone's game for them because they're just like moving action cards. People are getting flank speeds when they never had access to it. It completely changes the action card deck into like a relevant thing in the game, right? Whereas, oh, we kind of all have whatever we have. We all have everybody else's action card hand if we are willing to go through Hakan. And that makes the action card deck, I think, much more significant in those games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say because I there are some things you said there that I would kind of push back on. Like, uh -huh. I'm not really sure that it's very important for the con to take uh, politics uh, very often, like more so no, than sure. any other faction yeah, yeah, would. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how often you're going to have uh, some good action cards, but it's definitely good to encourage people to let you know what action cards they have yes. uh, in whatever ways you are able to negotiate that. Um, which, I mean, it's a Hakan episode, yeah. so I mean, we could say literally... Um, anything literally everything i think that's fair to say I, I i do think i i'm a little jealous of you being the the one doing this episode <laughs> because i think there especially in this section there's a lot of things i would say that i feel like are, are quite different than this like for well, like for so example talk about it. i think we can both be in on this tell me tell me okay. your thoughts. um just just a little bit i will say that i think that there is maybe an over-reliance on taking trade in general yeah um i believe that it kind of stems from the idea that um oh i'm the, i'm the trade cats um so i should take trade because it will make it very easy for me to make money i think that you can make money very easily with regardless yes. um, I, I will you will make less money of yeah. course it's it's like that that is for sure true right um but i think you can still make plenty of money not taking trade yourself um and i actually think when hakan prioritizes the other things that they are maybe like like we're talking about qdn a lot in this episode yeah. prioritize um, tech your your tech tempo is locked in right yeah. like you get as many tech as you get sometimes you get lucky and get an extra one or whatever but if there's not a jolnar in the game or if there isn't muat in the game um you're kind of hard locked into sort of the same tempo right yeah. yep. um so taking trade and ensuring that like i don't get behind in that way um and then being like okay i'm gonna do well in trade because i just do well in trade i mean there's nothing i don't sure. know and the other thing too is that trade goods no longer need to be stockpiled for your for uh, plastic yeah. as the con that right, much right. the hero will take care of that especially if you plan for it um so a lot of people say like they'll be like oh i used the hero but like i already had all the dreads out well it's like i kind of feel like you left value on the table there like yeah. like i would say try and get the hero in early get all your plastic out that way um and not worry about having the giant uh bank of trade goods uh because that will just accrue especially if you're not having to buy much yeah. plastic because your hero is going to get most of the things out anyways yeah, I, I think the realistic thing is that no strategy card is actually bad for Hakan. Um, I'm saying all this as a player who took trade only once in my game and was in a great... I'm not going to spoil the game because I think I'm going to put it on YouTube, but I was in a great position in the end game, um, and I only took trade round one. I do think trade is maybe your best act uh, strategy card round one. I think I could de facto say that because of how much extra power you get out of being the only person who is neighbors with people. Um, but after round one, I think it's completely viable, everything Hunter's saying, that it's like, you know, you're going to make enough money to survive the game, and you could get ahead on all the other economies that you are tempoed out on. Tech, even command counters to a certain extent, uh, construction if you have to. Um, th there's a lot of things that are always good i even make really th th my big argument for taking politics is once you have qdn the speaker token is this thing you do not care about and like you can make the goofiest deals with the speaker token i think that's even something we're, we haven't seen enough of but like mm -hmm. i think 
I think action cards are great as a con. It's my preferred way to play Hakan. I don't, I won't even say it's the most efficient way to play Hakan, but I have the most fun when I'm going crazy with action cards. So I like paying politics a lot. And I just think it's crazy cool. The stuff you can do with the speaker token. I won't say any of that is like, oh, that's the best thing you can do. The biggest point I'll agree with is with Hunter. And because we talked about it earlier, you can get locked out of your QDN path. So tech is probably your top priority for at least a decent chunk of the game. If you can get tech, you should probably take it because you do not want to miss out on QDN and the tech you can get later is so good it's worth having um i I'm, i had a whole thing written out for like tech stuff i don't actually want to go into like a long-winded tech conversation but after qdn it's all the blue stuff it's i mean you have access to dreadnought 2 you have access to carrier 2 um on your path to qdn i think scanlink is fine because you can get uh fragments and you can sell them to anybody at any time right um so I, I think all of the other tech path stuff is very obvious as hakan it's fleet logistics it's carrier two it's all of that stuff um it's your standard space cats peace turtles right. go blue only blue right. never anything else but you can only blue. do that if you're getting actually quite a lot of tech right like you have to have right. a crazy good tech game to accomplish all of that because qdn is very far in a yellow tech in the yellow tech tree so like you gotta put muscle into getting tech right you have to make that happen for yourself yellow skips are a huge deal i want to drive home the point that transit actually is still quite great even though you the mechs can help you solve the uh home system problem well guess what helps your mechs help solve the home system problem transit diodes if you get to move your mech at any time during the round that you want to to the planet you want to trade to somebody else without sending stuff there that's great so i still 100 percent stand by i would not uh like take ScanLink and then skip to QDN, right? I would like save the skip, get transit, and then get QDN is is my hope to of what to accomplish uh, on my path to QDN. I really still love transit diodes as Hakan. That makes sense. Um, I do want to say though, even uh, way back, you, you were saying like I, I, I that you think that that round one trade is is the best um and i i i don't think that trade is bad but i just want to make the case that hakan is wide open yeah and that there's a lot of possibilities they are um hakan round one can take warfare and without that much creativity i feel like come up with the money necessary oh, to definitely. round one custodians 100 like that, that is that is not uh, i think a wild thing to say um I think that you've actually made a lot of really like a really good case that they should just take trade or sorry, uh, tech. Yeah. Uh, round one and just tech as as uh, many times as possible, because mm -hmm. it seems like the only thing that we're locked in here is how much tech can we get? Mm -hmm. Money comes easy. Tech is locked into a specific pace. You know, you only yeah. have a specific pace with it. Um, so yeah, I think taking tech as as many times as possible. And I also just feel like because they're so rich, um, and because it's so easy for a Hakan player to to make it so that another player uh, kind of needs them or is like, oh, I'm going to make money in this. I feel like it's pretty easy to get custodians as Hakan. It's Definitely. not that hard and you have a lot of options compared to... There's so many factions we've talked about where they're like, oh, they're good custodians factions, but they gotta take politics and yeah. get the speaker token going into round two. Right. And I feel like if Hakan can easily bypass that. Yeah, I feel um, like top of the custodians list is like Mahakt, Sar, and Hakan, and that's it. Mahakt, mm. it costs them a little bit, right? They're burning their whole home system uh, on it round one, and they got right. they got they got to get certain things to go right. Sar can kind of just get there. That agent and like starting with a blue tech 
they can probably get custodians around one. So it's like probably Sar number one, Hakan number two, Mahawk number three, or something like that. That's that's off the top of my head without like properly analyzing it. But they they are among the best factions for custodians. So it is realistic that you're going to go blue tech early a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I think I think that I think you made a good case saying that uh, gravity drive is essential if you're going for custodians but if you're not then there's no reason to be like oh i gotta get you know gravity yep. drive right now if you don't see something you can do with gravity drive round two right you don't have to get it round right. one yeah and i would like, argue you don't have to do tech round one if you know you're getting ooh. a yellow skip next round i don't I, i'm Maybe, just saying okay. i don't think scan link is good enough if i'm also just going to get a yellow skip later i would rather I know, get I'm my yellow about skip. tempo totally that, i get it and that, i get that but yeah. i think i think if i get the yellow skip uh, I can take tech round two and get to the same position I would have been and not have spent a command counter and four resources round one. Yeah. Well, this is, we could literally disagree. We about could do this about everything. And that's the, you, yeah. the point you said a minute ago is Hakan is wide open. And that's the realistic problem here. Everyone is going to disagree with me at somewhere in this preliminary guide because literally Hakan is all over the place. Everything is valid. And my bigger argument with Hakan is they are one of the most fun factions uh, because they can do anything. Those are my favorite factions to play are the ones that get to just like kind of do whatever. Um, I know I'm saying get QDN, you must, but like QDN, Q QDN is what lets you do everything you want. So I think Hakan is where you just get to have the most fun in the game. And, and we should be more willing to let Hakan into the game, even though it might slow things down because the game I played is the most fun I've had with TI in the last year. Uh, it was my favorite game of TI I've played in the last year. Uh, well, maybe among the top games I've seen, even it was a a, a wild ride. Uh, it was, hey, you know what? I'll do this this uh, weekend. This last weekend, we're recording this. This is going to come out last weekend. Was uh, game six of the Invitational Finals, and it has in the draft Jolnar and Hakan as part of the draft. Those two factions will guaranteed have been in game six. So I'll say now. Game six was a great game. I already know it was like you should go watch game six because it was probably amazing. Uh, so let's let, without having seen it, without knowing what existed, it's right. guaranteed to be an amazing game. Yeah, I mean, also just like the players that we have in that game, that game is like really stacked. We yeah. have John, we have Patience, we have Teddy Jams for you. Uh, we've got Humble Checkmate. We've got Rolo. We've got James K. Polk. Like the, it's, it's incredible. This, yeah. It's a very interesting a uh, group of players. I mean, every game in the Invitational has been uh, really amazing. It's exceeded uh, my uh, my expectations, and I, I had I had oh, high yeah. expectations, and it has done better. But um, yeah, check out Game Three as well. Game Three was ridiculous. <laughs> it was Twelve game three hours was long, ridiculous. Too. It was yeah, it was really long. Yeah, Matt, you don't get to complain so much anymore about nope. long games because actually, oh no, I, I still do. I mean, I'll currently. still complain, but you do hold the record. Oh, I don't worry, Matt. I know you will continue to complain for the rest of eternity. Okay, <laughs> don't worry. I know, but I also will do it too. Let's take a quick break so that uh, we get to turn it over to Hunter's side of the show where we talk about the L1Z1X MindNet. All right, Daddy-O, take me away. Let me, let me, uh, this is a faction I have still not played uh, in POK at all. And honestly, I feel like I don't see them often enough for how good I think they are. It kind of freaks me out that I don't feel like I see L1 all the time. I feel like I, I see, see L1 yeah. constantly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's I'm hear always it. seeing people play L1. I feel like L1 is the, um, the, I don't know, like the, the dead center of yeah. Twilight Imperium. It is the faction that, I think most people know how to play them. Yeah. I think they're pretty easy to pick up. They're not the easiest to pick up, 
they're like the medium faction i think yeah. in in every single way right. um they have a, they have a good ability suite and they're just like all right here's here's what we do um it's fairly simple it's fairly straightforward it's easy to pick up it's easy to understand mm-hmm. um but in spite of all that easiness um i will talk about them for some amount of time um <laughs> let's talk about let's start with the abilities uh they have two uh the first is assimilate when you gain control of a planet replace each pds and space dock that is on that planet with a matching unit from your reinforcements they steal structures man this um, could have been just one from a planet right and it still would have been awesome the fact that it's yeah. all of them is ridiculous i'm realizing yeah now. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that 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 can come up in ways that are that are kind of insane um the most notable and most important aspect of assim- assimilate is that L1 gets to build out of the space dock at the end of the activation. Right. That's that's pretty big. Um, and in fact, L1, there's anything L1 can do that no one else can as well as they can. It's eliminate other players. Right. Um, and and really, it just comes down to that aspect of it. What happens is L1 will um, attack a player who has built a forward dock right outside of their home system. They will take that space dock, turn it into one of their space docks, and then build out of it. Now they are right in front of that other player's home system with a new fleet. You can do this round two, yeah, uh, and it can be uh, devastating. Um, and I'll say what I just said is kind of a theme of both of these abilities. Um, the the faction abilities are devastating abilities that you do not use all of the time. Yeah, when they sure. kick in, it's it's rough and it allows L1 to do something that they would not be able to do under any other circumstance. Right. But their abilities um, are not very like Hunter's Law-esque. Sure. You don't just get constant value, except for they do get one thing that is like that. And it's like that in a big way. But anyways, let's talk about the other faction ability. It is called Harrow. At the end of each round of ground combat, your ships in the active system may use their bombardment abilities against your opponent's ground forces on the planet. They use bombardment every single round. This, of course, is very important for very tight, very close ground combats. Yep. Uh, it, it is not going to kick in when you are not having a lot of ground combats, right. um, obviously. Uh, and it's also not going to kick in in ground combats where um, where it's not going to be close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you end up bombarding and killing all of the infantry, then yeah, no, it it, right. it didn't really do anything well, and for it, you. Well, it's in that notably moment. offensive only too, right? Like this is intentionally like on the move, like for for the L one right. on the go. <laughs> do do Harrow. Yes, yes. Um, they are a two commodity faction, um, and they have a faction uh, specific unit. And this is probably my favorite faction specific unit. I don't yeah. know. It's maybe. It's up there with Exo Trireme, actually. Actually, Exo Trireme is better because I'm a I'm a bug boy till the end. But anyways, <laughs> Super Dreadnought one. Um, this is a special Dreadnought. Um, it costs four, hits on a five, movement one. This is all normal. Capacity two. Now that doesn't Ooh. sound like the biggest deal. It's very easy to make that sound like that is not a game changer. Uh, but trust me, it is. Yeah. It's huge that they have capacity to Dreadnoughts. It's basically their most important ability. Yeah. Um, it makes their early game really breezy. It makes the late game uh, kind of function as them being the only faction that I think can truly just say, like, I just have Dreadnoughts. Yeah, I don't, I don't worry carriers. about anything else. I have Dreadnoughts. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't need any kind of support or anything. Put it yeah. this way. A Dread and one fighter 
can win a lot of early game combats, like against yep. like a carrier and a cruiser or whatever, can win a lot of combats. And then on the ground, that, that Dreadnought brought one fighter and one ground force. That ground force has bombardment every single round. So like it can maybe probably win a lot of ground combats too. So a single ship with two capacity is enough to win a lot of space combats and a lot of ground combats in the very, very early game. Yeah, L1Z1X has a high level of like plastic efficiency, I yeah. would call it. And it all comes from the Super Dreadnought. And honestly, Harrow. Like Harrow yeah. means that I can get a little out of, or get a lot out of a little, yeah. I should say. Um, let's talk about the starting technology. They start with Neural Motivator and plasma scoring two texts that i feel like are um they're very hunter's law right like they're 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 good always neuromotivator is always good to start with they're in the wrong they're the wrong colors though yeah. they're it's a green uh and a red uh that's not what we're going to need as l1z1x you already know that because they start with a faction uh unit that their upgrade is going to be the dreadnought regular upgrade which right. is two blue and a yellow we don't start with any of that yeah. so that is a little bit of an issue um they're starting units, uh, pretty good. They start with one Dreadnought, one Carrier, three Fighters, five Infantry, one Space Dock, and one PDS. Did I say pretty good? I meant to say really good. Yeah, I meant to say good. that's great. Yeah, that's the Dreadnought perfect. with two capacity basically equals the second Carrier, right? Like, it's a full second totally. Carrier for what you care about being able to do. I also want to go back to the Plasma Scoring thing. Plasma Scoring is not, like, amazing anymore, as we just talked about last week. But with a Dreadnought faction that starts with a Dreadnought, an extra bombardment on any of those things... Uh, that's a lot like again going back to that single dreadnought and a ground force and a fighter it's firing two shots before the ground force even tries to land so starting with plasma scoring i think is huge for l1z1x and right. a thing that you it would be a thing that you might sometimes consider researching in l1 games just like if you're getting bonus tech and the fact that they start with it i think is a huge boon yeah totally um let's talk about their home system real quick it's kind of a weird one um so their home their home system planet is just called like null um or 0.0.0, .0, .0. um they have like a fun like kind of like computer thing uh, <laughs> going on i don't know if it's kind of like a borg thing or like a cyber thing like they're, they're robo people cyber cyberpunk. people <laughs> cyber people cyberpunk 2077 uh kind of people um and uh, it's a good planet um the it's five resources zero influence um which is that five uh can be kind of annoying uh because five is one more than four and yep. four is what we need for tech yep. round one um so that part can be a little annoying it's great that it's five though it makes the home system a really good production center yep. um almost so good to where i would say like l1 doesn't have to focus on like a for having a forward dock mm. uh, you could steal somebody else's obviously um <laughs> yeah, that's the big the, thing you know you never have to build your own forward dock you'll just go get it you'll just go get one um hopefully now that doesn't always happen sure. but um let's talk about the promissory note um because it has been improved uh there is an omega for the l1 uh faction promissory note this omega is like pretty old at this point but i just want to make sure that people are aware that there's new components out there if you did not know um so cybernetic enhancements omega when you gain command tokens during the status phase, gain one additional command token, then return this card to the L1Z1X player. Um, so as I said before, we're a two commodity faction. This promissory note effectively, I would say, makes us uh, more like a three or maybe even a four. Yeah. Nah, probably a three uh, commodity faction, yeah. I would say. Um, that is the kind of uh, use you can get out of it. Everyone would always like another command token. Um, you should sell this every single round. Yeah, it's a I guaranteed that, sell every round, no matter what. Yeah, 
yeah, so you should always sell it. Um, I would say it's a pretty easy sell. I don't know. Maybe you have some stingy, weird group that doesn't want to buy this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's crazy. I don't think it's giving too much power to L1. Like, like we just talked about all this stuff with Hakan where people might stop trading with you. I think this command token is worth it enough. Like you're giving access to more things for people to do. And I mean, literally, you can charge like a dollar for the I, I don't love selling it for a dollar, but like you literally could sell it for a dollar and it's still like, hey, it's no skin off my back. That's a dollar I didn't have. Um, I think two is better but it's it's just a way to get people more command tokens that they definitely 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 want the way i like to sell this is um i will talk to the trade player mm -hmm. um and i'll say i'll, I'll do a x plus one with you so right. so they they refresh me um they wash my two and they give me one on top of that right. um so i end up with uh with three uh, some people maybe i don't know may, maybe it's better to just sell it for a straight up two trade goods i mean it's, that's still value for the other person they're still getting something out of that yep um but yeah you should be able to get it for you should be able to sell it for at least something um if you have a really stingy table maybe you have to sell it for one but that would be sad i would yeah. i would be big frown well if, if someone's offering you one uh change your target of who you're offering it to because someone's gonna buy it for two someone will you auction it and someone will take it for two you know <laughs> yeah hopefully it's not a very poor table um so let's talk about the faction tech now. So we've already talked about Super Dreadnought 1. Let's talk about Super Dreadnought 2, the upgrade. Um, so just like normal, this unit cannot be destroyed by direct hit action cards. Has sustained damage. Like, they, did, they didn't take it away. They yeah. didn't take away sustain, y'all. Um, bombardment on a 4. I always forget that. that yeah, it, it, it hits a little harder. Um, cost is the same. Combat hits on a 4. Movement 2. Capacity two, a little bit as an upgrade in and of itself, a little bit underwhelming. You already got the two capacity, and that's the star of the show. Um, I don't need a dreadnought that hits a little harder, um, and I definitely don't need a bombardment hitting on a four. We've already got enough. Like with right. Harrow, like we're gonna be fine. Yeah, okay? exactly. People we gave us pushback. Uh, we, I, I, I specifically didn't do <laughs> errata from people talking about Super Dreadnought 2 because we didn't specifically call out that it had improved bombardment and improved combat. But I, I agree with Hunter's point here, which is that it's like, it's good. It is improvements, but I don't think it's notable. It's win more improvements. It's not a notable thing that we know. Oh, that saved it. That made it to where it's definitely worth getting. It, it is literally still just the movement and the direct hit uh, stuff. And the right. direct hit is not as big of a deal in POK. So it's just that movement that you want more it's of. It's just the movement at this point. Yeah, it's... it's And you really do need that movement yes. because any L1 fleet is... Uh, you'll see when we get to the hero, you have a very good reason to basically super specialize in Dreadnoughts and then uh, your flagship. Uh, so you need to have this upgrade so that your Dreadnoughts aren't just relying on gravity drive to get around, like that yeah. they can all move around uh, quite well. Um, so I would definitely recommend the upgrade, even though it is kind of underwhelming. Um, the other uh, faction you, uh, tech is Inheritance Systems. Uh, it reads, you may exhaust this card and spend two resources when you research a technology. Ignore all of that technology's prerequisites. Now, the bummer here is that in order to research Inheritance Systems, uh, it, it's a two yellow. Yep. Now... In the old days, there were, I would say, two camps. There were people that basically played um, L1 as if they didn't start with any tech and just needed to go, you know, two blue and a yellow in order to get Super Dread 2. And then there were people that said, no, 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 sprint for inheritance systems, um, and then from there you will be fine. I would say that because um, POK has, in general, incorporated more skips and more ways to skip around the tech tree... Inheritance Systems has lost a lot of power, a lot of steam. Yep. Um, this no longer feels like a very necessary investment. 
uh, for L1Z1X. The only way I feel like I could recommend the old ways of going uh, for inheritance systems and then getting all your tech that way is if you, for some reason, are starting in a situation where you have zero, zero skips, uh, zero, uh, you don't find any through yeah. exploration, and right. that's it. Um, that would be rough. I, it's like hard to even build a map like that. You know what I mean? Like you could sit down at a slice with no skips and then you explore an industrial planet and you're like, oh wait, now I've got a blue skip. Well, okay, that changes everything. Right. So gunning for inheritance systems seems like a weird commitment to a, to a tech that uh, I feel like utility wise isn't going to serve you that well. It's yeah. I think better to just go um, down blue or play with the skips that you have. Um, if, L1 can get really fun in that way. Yeah, if you are going to research it, I do want to throw in a, a note for newer players. This is a really weirdly technical wording, which is, uh, annoyingly, Inheritance Systems is, if you're doing the secondary tech, it's the $4 for tech, and then the $2 for Inheritance Systems, which notably, again, leaves your home system on the table. Your five, you don't get to add a trade good to your home system. Um, so the agent is called, uh, I-485, I guess. Um, <laughs> is it an this S? Is, uh, hmm. hmm, who is this man? Yeah, I don't know. Um, after a player activates the system, you may exhaust this card to allow that player to replace one of their infantry in the active system with one mech from their reinforcements. Um, this is, man, this is a weird agent. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody's always like, oh, you gotta, you gotta use the agent, gotta get as much out of that agent as you possibly can. Um, you know what? This would be a really good time to talk about the mech as well. So we'll talk sure. about the mech in tandem with this agent. Um, but uh, for now, in order to use this agent, it means that you are probably going to have to leave an infantry behind on your home system. We're talking about round one, that is. Yeah. Um, so you leave one infantry behind. You started with five, remember? So two, two go out one way, two go out the other. And then you leave one behind. And then whenever you build in your home system, which you can see the problem here already, um, if you act, if you have to activate your home system in order to do that, which I don't know, that means that someone didn't take warfare, which I love, by the yeah, way. Sure. You shouldn't take warfare round one unless you're getting something really awesome out of that. Um, but people do. So most of the time you will build off the secondary warfare, which means you can't use this agent. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's also hard to sell. I'll say that too, because yeah. like I said, everybody's building off the warfare secondary. Not a lot of people are having to activate in order to build it all. So if you, for some reason, are not going to use this, I would definitely have your eyes peeled for any other players that might get a use out of this round yeah. one. Look for of course, scan after links. round one, it becomes very easy to use sure. um, because you're more frequently just uh, activating yourself in order to build. Uh, and that isn't such a weird thing to try and figure out. So yeah, you do sort of uh, get your mechs for free. Um, I would not... People have a tendency to think... Uh, because the agent uh, has a kind of a complicated round one dance to do. I feel like they tend to overemphasize it a little bit yeah. um, and talk about it as if like it's it, this big important thing. It's okay it's not to not do your agent. It's it's netting you a dollar, right? Or a dollar yeah. and a half. Like it's fine, yeah. man. It's just okay to have not done your agent round one. Right. It's not a huge deal. Um, let's talk about the mech though so that you know what kind of value you're getting out of having those, uh, those mechs on the board. Um, while not participating in ground combat, this unit can use its bombardment ability on planets in its system as if it were a ship. And it has uh, bombardment, it hits on an eight. Um, besides that, it's a standard mech, sustained damage, cost two, combat six. Um, so that's pretty cool. And obviously it combos with uh, Harrow. You gotta be a little careful with how you use it, um, right? So it, it 
it doesn't use bombardment when it's in ground combat. Right. Once it has entered ground combat, it's not going to use bombardment again on that planet. Right. However, the order matters. So let's say um, I have a couple mechs in the sky. I'm invading a two-planet system. Um, I send one mech to one planet. The other one's still in the sky. That one can still bombard and harrow. Yep. This other one is uh, now... And, and in fact, the other one can still bombard at the beginning, too. Yes, so right. Initial it only doesn't is... get in on the harrow, right. which is pretty great. Um, so again, like L1 has a lot of bombardment options to such an extent that there there's really no issue there. There doesn't need to be a big focus on figuring out how to get more of it. You're, you're very set up as far as bombardment goes. Yep. Um, so you should be able to swing a lot of ground combats in your favor quite easily and and speaking of that you might be thinking at this point like oh well there's a problem though i know about planetary shield and pds well <laughs> we took that out we got rid of that um so here's the commander the unlock is have four dreadnoughts on the game board you're going to want to do that anyways that's not a hard and you unlock. start with one it's build three yeah. dreadnoughts and don't lose any build three easy yeah it's not difficult um and then the ability is units that have planetary shield do not prevent you from using bombardment so that's pretty great we just get right by it it used to be this was their achilles heel now it's been taken out i will say this like in general i feel like planetary shield has kind of not really shown up that much anymore mechs in general make the shots uh like make, make it easier to take ground combats yeah um so planetary shield uh i feel like doesn't even factor in that much if anything i i feel like i'm almost making a case that like it's it's bombardment or lots of mechs, one or the other. Sure. Basically, you don't need both. Yeah. Um, well, they essentially, it, both if, if anything, the it's same just problem. disgusting that that that's what they gave to L one Z one X. Right. It's like this would be the one thing that kind of keeps them in check because, like, well, you're incentivized to go full dreadnought, and hey, we made that perfect. Actually, hey, we made full dreadnoughts like a perfect thing <laughs> with this commander. Yeah, it's true. Um, they yeah they did take out the one and only problem. Um, let's talk about the hero. So the hero is called Dark Space Navigation. It is an action, uh, and it's this is a big one. This, this is a biggie. Um, choose one system that does not contain other players' ships. You may move your flagship and any number of your dreadnoughts from other systems into the chosen system, then purge this card. So we recently had um, uh, Dane on to talk about this card in general um, for the uh, sort of informal LLR, yep. or the, uh, the what do we call it? Uh, we called it a live email from Dane. <laughs> right. Um, so the way this works now is exactly how you would think it works, basically. Right. It's as um, good as you're afraid it is. <laughs> yes. So the flagships move wherever. They can, they, they're moving through stuff. They're just appearing now in this new, this new space. Flagship moves, dreadnoughts move. They take anything they can carry there yep. it doesn't matter if they were all activated before they are now going to be in this new system unactivated right. um it is one of the best if not the best uh wind slay abilities right. uh in the game now uh i don't want to say that it's amazing overall uh, being able to wind slay a player right. does nothing for you if you're not also set up to win luckily l1 is pretty good at setting up winning player. overall <laughs> yeah um <laughs> But yeah, so this this is uh, this is very effective in that way. Um, it's kind of I would say a star player. Whenever we have tournament games, I feel like mm -hmm. um, the L one hero is always something that's hotly anticipated uh, and and always uh, something the yeah, players are looking forward to and is uh, super interesting. But uh, it used to have a very uh, very weird way that it worked, where 
basically uh if things were activated before uh the dreads could like move but they could not carry the things with them right. it was a huge mess and now it has been fixed uh it works just uh it's perfectly. clean but crazy good at this point yeah. is, is the big thing and i mean you you can do crazy power plays with it there's all sorts of goofy shenanigans but suffice it to say like the freedom of where you can go with it opens up many, many opportunities. There are ways to use it for yourself, too. If, if you've got a control late game objective, like it's not like it's only a wind slaying tool, right? It's not a thing that is right. only used to hurt someone. It can be, I mean, L1's really good at hurting people that in a way that helps them, too. So that's certainly still a possibility for you. Right. They're able to hurt other players without running out of steam, basically. Yes. Right. Um, and I've saved one component now. Uh, for last and it's because uh it is my favorite component it's also it was just mentioned right the hero actually interacts with the flagship it mm -hmm. says oh the flagship can move and also the dreadnoughts so let's talk about the flagship we haven't talked about it this far let's talk about it so the flagship is called 0, 0.0.1 i don't really like the naming convention of any of the l1 <laughs> stuff um i guess maybe i don't like the theme that much maybe um but it is a cost eight flagship, hits two on a five, movement one, capacity five. Why? Whoa. Why? I don't know. I can't come up with a reason you why, know why it needed this. You, you know why? Because it, because they're a dreadnought fleet yeah. and they're like the two capacity. <sighs> what happened was it's like, okay, so you build only dreadnoughts and you have two capacity each. So five dreadnoughts, that's 10 capacity. That's not quite enough oh, for in the late not, game. Is it so not we had with to add, Caro? Is it not enough? We, oh, we had to baby add L1 more. doesn't have enough ability to take ground combats. Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> actually, yes. I mean, sure. you know how Carrier 2 works. No, I know. Like, yeah, you, you understand. Um, this is essentially your one Carrier 2, basically, to yep. bolster your capacity. Um, it does have an ability, though. During a space combat, hits produced by this ship and by your Dreadnoughts in this system must be assigned to non-fighter ships if able Oof. so this is a graviton laser systems but for combat um very much uh cuts through a lot of different uh factions in the late game yeah uh anybody that relies heavily on fighters obviously is going to have trouble with this it is kind of your anti-carrier two type setup um and it's beautiful because it interacts with the hero it's i would say that l1 is second to nomad as far as factions that rely on their flagship to really be effective right if i have an l1 game where i don't end up getting the flagship out it's probably i'm probably not gonna win i'm probably right. not doing well right. basically i find the test of l1 is did you get your flagship out and find something useful to do with it because it, i mean i think it is overall the best flagship in the game still right i've been trying to think of like what what is thematic about l1 and Hakan mm -hmm. in the same episode together. And I think this is what we just found that it's, it's just, we're doing a, the either side of the flagship argument is what is the only thing we can talk about today is Hakan right. flagship, bad L1 flagship, crazy, stupid, good. Very good. Um, I really like it a lot. Um, and I feel like it is a very important aspect of there. Cause it actually fills a hole. Like we have all these um, bombardment abilities that all kind of go on top of each other in such a way where it's like, okay, I think we have, I think yeah, we're okay think we're with get that. It. <laughs> Whereas the flagship comes up and is like, Hey, here is some more capacity so that we can have a higher HP fleet in the late game. But also here's a way for us to shred through other players fleets yeah. uh, that may have a lot, uh, you know, a big uh, fighter screen right um and this is not a faction that easily throws in i think other uh unit upgrades we can talk about tech because i feel like you can go a million different directions and i don't i'm unconvinced that any of them are better than just getting super dreadnought 2 right. and then 
that's it. Like, I don't know. I'm Super Dreadnought 2 plus Light Wave plus Fleet Logistics, which I know it's like old hat at this point, but like yeah. POK made the blue tech problem well, worse. Especially okay? with L1, man, right? Like the big argument, maybe even in base game was like, hey, there's this thought of like cruiser two. You start with a green and a red and maybe you're doing this inheritance systems thing. So you got green, red, yellow. Hey, you could do early game cruisers. But like you now have like, six different abilities pointing you in the direction of dreads i don't know why you wouldn't build dreads and make the dreads better and that means you're going down blue tech which means you're doing the blue tech path like this is the most one where right. it's like i can't buy into any non-blue tech argument because it's like the whole faction is saying please give me blue tech right yeah yeah i mean that that is essentially the situation um so we do not start with a blue which means that custodians is not really a thing we also start with a zero influence in our home system so we're not going to be talking about taking the custodians token much as l1 yeah. which what's nice about them is that i feel like l1 whether it's in uh the mid game or the late game at some point you'll hopefully be set up to uh steal my catal racks right. for a round right um i would try and do it before the late late game because i always find that in in the end game because of your hero you're probably going to be more interested in using that hero to do to get up to some uh, some yeah. nasty business at the end there, which means your your ships are all going to be preoccupied with that. Right. Um. So try and steal Mechatol Rex in the mid game and uh, get a custodian's point off that. So yeah. That you have some extra points. To add to that too, I mean, don't be afraid. Mechatol is the perfect place to flex your mid game muscle that you need to be aware that you have. Right. Like you started with a dread, which is already a lot more muscle than most factions and that dread is very good like you you should do some things with those units right you're, you're not going to just sit back and like trade with everybody as on one z one x necessarily that that isn't going to get you as far as like doing something in the mid game because you can beat most people in a fight um like there's only a couple factions that are going to compete with you on a mid game mechatol steal um so I, I i definitely agree with you there that um it's your best opportunity to get it in well, I will. I will say this: like L one without the flagship and all of the dreads is not. I, 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 the flagship fills a meaningful gap yeah. that can be alternatively filled different ways. If you don't want to go for the flagship, uh, which I totally understand because it can be expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you have five resources at home, but for all I know, you end up with a like a full on influence slice with very little resources left over, um, which is actually good great. by the way. That's a great thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Um, but if you want to go some kind of uh, lower rent routes, I do feel like you could throw Carrier 2 into their tech path, and that would be fine. Yeah, There's sure. nothing wrong with that at all, and it's a lot cheaper than the flagship. I do feel like it. you kind of lose some of that late-game uh, Winslay power, which mm -hmm. I you know, would, would hate to see. But, um, but I don't know. Like the, What you gain there is a little bit of utility in that having uh, carriers set up with with fighter screens around uh, maybe maybe makes you a little more versatile. Um, I always feel like at the very end of the game, a lot of L1s end up having this just giant fleet in this one yeah. system, um, which is good for punch, but it's not great for, well, how many different things can we do this round? Well, yeah. kind of just one. Um, always make sure, too, that uh, with the hero, that you remember that you are basically going to get to uh, move these ships from activated systems into an unactivated system. Right. So make sure that you're always kind of thinking about that possibility of like, okay, so we're in the final round. I haven't used my hero yet. 
my dreads can effectively do two missions yes. this round right. you know my dreads can go over here and do this thing yeah and then later hero over here and do this thing as well right yeah and hey uh note to people playing against l1 uh gum gum your stuff the worst thing oh, you can do sure. is leave an empty system adjacent to your home like that's the that is your worst nightmare because guess what all that stuff potentially comes adjacent to your home system so like definitely 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 gum when you're playing yeah gum one. is is the the enemy of your hero um it's definitely the main reason i would say that that light wave becomes very important yeah. as a utility in <laughs> as far as l1 is concerned so and I'm sorry. That's just like it's that's what the goes. show is now. Is yeah. us just saying that light wave is really good and that you need to get it. But but literally, there's so many abilities like this where um, gum is such a problem. And it would be great if we could fix the whole gum problem, right? Oh well, we can. <laughs> it's called light wave. Oh no. Well, that's rough. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's it, it's kind of going to be one or the other. It's either that. Uh, you don't have light wave and then they gum and then you're like, oh my God. And then you have to get light wave. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, don't know how much more I can say about L1 to be, to be real with you. I think that they are a really straightforward faction. I enjoy playing them a lot. Um, I've played them probably the most of the base game factions yeah. since POK has come out. Um, and they are easy to pick up, easy to understand, uh, I feel like they are set up in such a way as to where a lot of the secret objectives are really fun yeah. and uh, maybe a little bit easier to score than uh, other factions. They have a way of kind of, oh, I'm I'm a, a good punchy faction and then some weird objective comes out that's like everyone groans except for L1 where they're like, oh, but I can try and figure this out. You know, uh, the structure objective comes out. Yeah. L1 doesn't have any structures, right. and they're like, "Oh well, um, do I though? Yeah. Didn't I <laughs> always I have go... some structures though?" <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the thing I'm always looking at uh, for L1 players is the idea of like, where's that tenth point coming from? And I think you you making that claim on Mechatol Rex mid game is like the biggest solve to that, right? Like, if you can just get an, an Imperial pop in the mid game, or honestly, too, I mean. A, a fair amount of stage twos are probably not the worst in the world for l1 right i mean it's they're not terribly easy but there's there's some possibilities there i would say yeah we like control objectives right yeah. um we don't like economic objectives that much except for just like i don't know like as far as stage twos go certainly not um but yeah uh fleet objectives flagship objectives are fine yeah, yeah. uh structure objectives are fine uh yeah i don't know like it, it there's there's quite a lot that l1 can uh can get away with um with really the only big problem being economic which you know whatever yeah it, they're they're a punchy faction they're they're like they're like the hakan of punching yeah you know what i mean like they're just good at it i i would love i don't know hunter if you specifically are equipped for this sort of talking point because i think it's other players that do this more but it's like you know we, we have some people out there that are a little bit known for the like l1 go for broke elimination strategy right yeah um and i'm curious just to, to stall for time a little bit i mean is that like the viable is that a thing you're looking at as l1 is like i literally want to try to at, le at least eat most of a neighbor if not all of a neighbor or is it like eh, if it comes up i don't think it's ever necessary yeah. to eat a neighbor right um and i think that while l1 is the best equipped to actually get away with it and still win the game yeah it's still not something that I think that you should um, really have your eyes set on. You should have your eyes set on uh, where am I getting my extra point? Yeah. Because, yeah, that's the thing that's going to slow you down the most is figuring out 
how to get that extra point and not having to just rely on a good stage two flip. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I would not say that you should prioritize it. Maybe if your neighbor is like Winu, right. then maybe I would prioritize yeah. it. Because I'd be like, oh, I can can really get away with this like (laughs) quite a bit. Yeah, I I, I think what I've learned today is I still haven't played L1 in POK, and I I think actually it doesn't excite me that much. I I think um, the like I'm I'm a decently mean player in games, but I'm mean in a negotiating sense. Um, I don't like to just like steamroll someone, and I think it would be hard for me as a player to talk myself out of pushing further and further into someone's stuff and I, I i think i would have very little fun playing l1z1x and i think it would be very bad for my brain to play as them yeah i well i don't i don't know i yeah. i don't know if it would play i've had like an that. interest I, in them i want to play them but like they scare me a little bit of like what their path looks like because like the way you open up opportunities as l1 is like fairly on the board and i'm not great on the board right i'm better above the board i i think yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that you're good at. Uh, I think you're good at a lot of things, Matt. I, I think one of the things that you've always been really strong with as a player is uh, striking a, at a specific objective and saying like, "I have found a creative way to get over here and do this," which I think L1 could actually help that play style a little more because, Maybe. like we said way at the beginning of the discussion, L1 is very um, versatile but also very efficient. And how those super dreadnoughts can accomplish so many different um, sure. goals at once. I think that's the why they're a great too. faction for you, though, is because that's very much your in your wheelhouse. Is like get the plastic in the right spot when I need it. Kind of leave it there for a while, like uh, be, build on the move or not on the move, but you know what I mean. Like get get things as they need to go, and then late game, hey, the hero moves all the stuff that I used to protect myself very well. Now it goes and does in a big offensive thing or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. I just think it, I think it would be interesting to see you play L1 though. I, yeah. I I would be interested to see it, and I think that I think they do have a lot of things in their toolkit that would go nicely with with your style of play. Um, and I do think the Omega uh, promissory note has helped a lot as yes. far as uh, their above the board and just kind of general trading goes. Definitely. But yeah, that's what I got for L1. I love it's it. It's funny. One of my favorite factions. I feel like is very easily summed up and i don't have a lot to say about them i think they're just like very normal ti and yeah. easy to understand and play if there if anything we paired um uh, a faction that um is Kept probably the... one of the biggest factions to talk about right. in the game with the most like blue collar right. like we did it in the game we did it to keep the episode length down a little bit this is a reasonable episode length whereas if this had been hakan and jolnar we'd we'd have just barely gotten into jolnar at this point i mean there'd be so much more to talk about still it'd be disgusting right yeah well correct i want to thank our weird bears big al cappuccino farganus squeamish emu Brassbird, brian kalu and john Sedaletto, alice sunfax absol arwise fancy zeeling tg welch rumor hippo and our little peace turtles patience is a virtue my son is also named bort anvil frank g gazkio reka carnal naderade nick privix rollo uncle baddie teddy's jam for you goondock and dober hwawa dober hwawa that's a very that's good one good. yeah that's very good <laughs> i've never heard that that's that is a new name and it is a very good name uh dober hwawa <laughs> I hope we we're pronouncing that correctly. Chihuahua um, and Doberman. Do- Doberwawa. Yeah. yeah oh, so. Doberwawa. Okay, <laughs> now I completely get it. Um, all right, so November, again, just want to say it one more time. November is Tournament 4 signups. Get in. Be a part of it. Yep. Be a part of next year's uh, story. I got a feeling like Tournament 4 is going to be the best tournament we've ever had. Definitely. I think it's going to be a big one. 
Um, we've had the game for a year. People are really starting to... People really get it at this yeah. point. Well, and man, um, if this tournament's proving anything, like, Milty Draft is, like, the way to go. The way to go. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to make the tournament that much better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so let's talk about war. Let's talk war. Uh, about ending the war arc and how it will end. Um, so last week, uh, the Galactic Council selected um, to call a speaker or call an election uh, for there to be a speaker of the council. So there is going to be an election. Yep. Um, we have sort of explained how it would work already, so I'm not going to reiterate sure. too much, but there were nominations that already happened. It's, yep. over. it's over. The, nominations the voting are closed. is now. Voting, yeah. vote, if you haven't voted already, get your votes in. Yeah, because um, you have a week to do it, uh, and I've already put it up, so it's been up for a couple days. Uh, but I'm just going to read uh, the people that have been uh, nominated so that you know who you can vote for. Right. Um, so... Uh, our first nominee, <laughs> obviously, is Cages. Cages has been nominated uh, for speaker. I think Cages would be a great speaker, um, but also uh, a chaos uh, speaker. So if you're in favor of chaos, uh, you should vote for Cages. Uh, I'm going to campaign for everyone, too, as sure, we go. Sure, of course. Um, Absol has been nominated for speaker. Uh, killer excellent. speaker. Killer speaker yeah. would be an awesome speaker. Discord um, mod if, has proven yes. shops of taking control. Oh, yeah um good uh good at lore we'll which advocate is for lore episodes you need that yeah. yeah we do need that um because i don't know if you noticed in the prelims guides we don't do any yeah, lore which is bad yeah yeah um kaluan has been nominated kaluan uh one of my favorite people to play with in the world uh, so of course i would love if kaluan was speaker that'd be easy for me um planet earth has been nominated yeah. uh the dice queen planet earth um <laughs> which i think it would be useful to have planet earth on our side because she can uh she's like the butterfly effect and can affect <laughs> dice <laughs> rolling across the planet yeah she can she can roll dice that other people are rolling she can interrupt <laughs> the dice uh so that kind of dice magic would be good to have i think as a speaker um so i think it would be amazing if it was planet earth yeah um Andra has been nominated uh, for some uh, European representation. I agree with that. What? You skipped Wecker? Maybe no, it was I did on not. purpose. Oh, oh no. I, it was not on purpose. It was really not on purpose. <laughs> uh, no, no. We I, I, I like the bit that that might be the one person we will not advocate for. It cannot be Wecker. <laughs> I, I disagree with you, Matt. No, Wecker has saved my butt in yeah, so many homebrew absolutely. games that, yeah. of course, if you, if you want a homebrew-focused uh, speaker, Wecker is the one for that but also wecker is a big member of the thai coalition yeah. and believes that everything should be tied um which is the opposite of what we want in this war arc so yes i guess i should not yeah. advocate for also wecker, wecker wecker's a local right wecker's been an irl streams so yeah, yeah, like so i don't know is is wecker actually the secret uh scpt decoy pick right wecker's basically picking matt and hunter i, I don't know right man. <laughs> right it could be that it could go either way like who can tell where wecker's true loyalties lie like is he a puppet <laughs> like are we talking puppet talk or like is this true this this thai coalition stuff real did we plant wecker in mm, the community to know. start the war arc i'll never so tell. that we could get planet earth elected as speaker i don't know who knows um another uh let's talk about some more we got schroeder use carrot salesman schroeder uh good if you want more carrots in the community um phantasma has also been nominated uh i don't even know uh, there's a joke that i don't understand there um kraken has been nominated which is good because then there'll be more um silly long-winded business um <laughs> if you want silly long-winded business pick kraken 
Hey, um, also one more point for Kraken. I mean, Kraken is the go-to person for tournament updates. Uh, we are horrible oh, about that's like true. graphically presenting the information that happens in tournaments, and Kraken is like hot on the trigger. So, uh, yeah, I mean, basically a member of the tournament team in my mind. Yeah, totally. Um, Simple has been nominated. Simple uh, gave in some really good uh, homebrew faction stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, Banner Spear has been nominated. That I know we've got some uh, errata from Banner Spear. That's yep. all. Sorry, that's all I know about Banner Spear. <laughs> uh, Stealth Toast. That's a great name. Love it. And then also John has mm-hmm. been nominated. Race car John. Vroom vroom. <laughs> if you want the speaker to go fast, you gotta pick John. Is that our new John bit? I didn't know this race car John. All right, race car John. Yeah, I'm yeah, in. yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I've been calling him race car John for forever. Vroom vroom. <laughs> If you want the speaker to go fast, it's gotta be John. <laughs> uh, we've also got a Homebrewers Guild coming up. It's uh, technology. Give us more tech. Hey, more, more, yes. and more, and more, and more, and more. Do we have us? Do we have that scheduled yet? It's gonna be after the tournament. But hey, the tournament nope. ends like this weekend, so uh, that's fine. We will be able to do that. Yeah, it, it'll uh, it'll probably be, uh, but not necessarily be uh, Sunday, November seventh. Yeah, probably. It will probably be that day, cool. but I'm not, that's not in stone yet. You can't tell me that I rescheduled it if I change it. <laughs> uh, you can also rate our podcast on iTunes and stuff, and you can also find our website, spacecatsbeesturtles.com for more information about our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord, our merch, etc., etc., etc. Okay. Well, that's the end of the episode, right? That is the end of the episode. That's the end. Clocking off. We're, we're getting, uh, we're getting actually down to the wire on the rest of these factions. Like there's not, there's nine factions left after today. Uh, so wow. it's getting actually quite specific. We were having like this freewheeling period of these episodes where it's like, oh, I can just play anything. But now I'm going into games and it's like, hey, I can play like these four factions. Uh, that's that's who I have access to. Um, so which it's is... four and a half episodes left, yes. basically, yeah. and then yeah. we'll be done. So we'll get that done before the end of the year. Yeah, basically. I don't. I, what I what I wonder is, are we gonna? Is that? I mean, Hakan, and you called this out earlier. Hakan should have been the one faction that gets an episode by itself yeah, probably yeah so i've already ruined probably. that for us so i don't know right. if we'll have an, a faction that gets one episode or if we'll have an episode that gets three factions that'll be the big thing do we have three oh. very simple factions ahead of us probably not huh we're too long-winded no. to do anything like that yeah probably not i don't know maybe it it, it depends i feel like uh there's there's Sardak and Mentak is left, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I want to do those. Those those will be mine. I want to do a you... Sorrel. Let's do this. Ooh, let's play this game. Who do you want? I want a Sorrel for sure. I'm I've been very thirsty for a Sorrel. Uh, for I'm a for while sure just now. gonna play Sardak and Mentak for the rest of my life. Now that <laughs> now that we've gotten to this point, those are the only two factions that I want to play. Uh, I'm always the Jolnar kid. Uh, right. So. You got to be Jolnar. You're the power faction guy. You know, you're the power boy. Yep. You yeah, got to play yeah. with the power. Uh, you like we've also power. got to do ghosts, but you've been doing ghosts. Like you basically already have a ghosts episode in you. I think maybe like a game left before you're ready for ghosts. Nah, huh? I don't. I, I don't need to play ghosts. You could play ghosts. You could do. You could do ghost Jolnar and a Sarl. But you I played like you three. I want to do soul probably, unless you want it. I don't care. But I like soul. I think soul is great. Soul is becoming one of my favorite factions to play as. Actually, turns out. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do soul. And then for we me. got Mu- uh-oh. Well, now we got a lot of things being assigned to me, and I don't think you want to do Muat. I think you should do Muat, too. I'm just going to do Sardak and Mentak. <laughs> That's it. That, I'm out. <laughs> like, done. I'm done, Matt. I, I'm only doing Sardak and Mentak now. No, you have to I, do Arborek. I did, you always I did do Arborek, and I never touch Arborek. Nah, you do Arborek. All right. You got Arborek. Sure. They don't do like seven, it when you I do, do Arborek. <laughs> they don't yeah, like yeah. it. You do, you do seven, I'll do two. That sounds good. <laughs> anyway, see you later. Bye. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>